I think I like that version better than I do the recorded one. Praise the Lord. Take your Bibles, if you would, and let's turn to Luke chapter 17 this morning. Luke chapter 17. And I'm going to have to ask you to listen very closely and follow uh, throughout the message or you're going to miss uh, the, the main point uh, that I believe the Lord once uh, brought forth in this morning's time. But let's just start reading in Luke chapter 17 and verse 1. Then said he unto the disciples, It is impossible, but that offenses will come. But woe unto him through whom they come. It were better for him that a millstone were hanged about his neck and he cast into the sea than that he should offend one of these little ones. Take heed to yourselves. If thy brother trespass against thee, rebuke him. And if he repent, forgive him. And if he trespass against thee seven times in a day and seven times in a day, turn again to thee saying, I repent. Thou shalt forgive him. And the apostles said unto him, Lord, increase our faith. And the Lord said, if ye had faith as a grain of mustard seed, ye might say unto this sycamine tree, be thou plucked up by the root and be thou planted in the sea, and it should obey you. But which of you, having a servant plowing or feeding cattle, will say unto him by and by when he has come from the field, Go and sit down to meat, and will not rather say unto him, Make ready wherewith I may sup, and gird thyself, and serve me, till I have eaten and drunken, and afterwards thou shalt eat and drink. Doth he thank that servant, because he did the things that were commanded him? I trow not. So likewise ye, when ye have done all those things which are commanded, you say, We are unprofitable servants. We have done that which was our duty to do. Now, sometimes as Jesus was teaching, uh, this is certainly an instance of that, uh, his teaching would take on a a more harsh tone. It It would really dig into the root of things. I mean, there were times when he addressed the disciples as a faithless and perverse generation he he rebuked them when they needed it he exhorted them and this certainly would be one of those passages I mean I don't know about you but as I read this passage uh, I can't tell you how many times I've studied it over the years uh, I go wow there's a lot of living there's a lot of growing in my life that needs to happen before I can walk in the words of this passage. I mean, say, preacher, I agree with you. That I'm, I feel the same way. There's some things that need to happen in my life so that I can walk in this passage. And Jesus never gave commands to the disciples that could not be fulfilled. He never told them to do things that were absolutely impossible. I mean, many things are impossible without God. That we understand. But never once did he tell them to do something that could not be attained through the power and direction of the Holy Spirit working in a human life. God does not want super Christian. Uh, Somebody sat down and in the imagination they invented Superman. He had to come from another planet and and all of these things, and nothing can hurt him except kryptonite. You know, he's got to be a man, so something's got to reach him. You know what I mean? He's got to have a weakness somewhere. But God doesn't have a weakness. There is no one that can, quote, get to God, as we might say, or hinder him in any way. But God wants to use ordinary people. Now, please don't raise your hands, but if you're a member of the church and you've been attending here for a long time, how many of you have been offended at one point or another? I mean, somebody did something, and the word offense here is 
much more serious than just being upset or, or uh, you know, irritated or, or really bothered. I mean, this is talking about something that changes your ability to believe in God. I mean, I, I could give you some stories, but people may know who I'm talking about, so I'm not going to give you any. There have been offenses. And here's what the Bible says. It is impossible. This is Jesus telling us something that is not not possible. It is impossible, but that offenses will come. As long as we have more than one human being in a room, offenses are going to occur. People are going to be set out of joint, they're going to be irritated, they're going to be hurt, they're going to even question whether they want to continue serving God or not. That's what this word means. And it says they're going to come. Now, who was Jesus talking to? Well, let's go back to verse 1, double check here, make sure. Then said he unto whom? The disciples. He said this to the disciples that it is impossible to avoid offenses. They're going to be there. But then Jesus says something that's just unbelievable. He says, it were better for him that a millstone were hanged about his neck and he cast into the sea than that he should offend one of these little ones. Now, that's, that's pretty serious. I mean, uh, unless the mythical Superman appears, if you've got a millstone cast about your neck and thrown into the sea, you're not coming back. Uh, I mean, uh, this was something very serious. I mean, Jesus is talking, it's better to die than to offend. But offenses are going to come. Now, how many of you are encouraged by that? I don't think Jesus meant to encourage you. Jesus is just making a statement of reality. So much that goes on in religion today is in the realm of what I call fantasy land. I mean, everything's going to get bigger and better and you're going to have more money and more this and more that. And if you don't, it's because you're not yelling loud enough for God to hear you. I praise God. My God doesn't need a hearing aid. Uh, He hears the words that come from in my heart. Amen. That aren't even spoken out loud. He doesn't need my attention or my direction. He is God. And we are human beings. We're going to offend one another. We're going to offend others. It's going to happen. And you know what? Then to offend someone, it would be better to die first. But we're going to offend people. It's going to happen. Because Jesus said so. Just like he told Peter, you're going to deny me three times before the sun comes up tomorrow morning. What did Peter do? He denied Jesus three times. In fact, Peter thought that the very plan that he had to protect himself from denying Jesus was what led him to do the very acts that he was trying to stop. Isn't that true? He said, I'm going to follow Jesus. I'm not going to leave him. Therefore, I can't deny him. But he only followed afar off. And he ended up denying the Lord, just like Jesus said. So let's live in the real world instead of a pretend world where everybody's happy and nice and everything just goes the way we want it to. Because that world doesn't exist. Amen? 
But let's read on. He didn't stop here. He then says, take heed to yourselves. Okay, disciples, offenses are coming. It would be better to die than to commit an offense, but they're coming. Now I want you to pay attention. I want you to look at your own life. And here's how I want you to look at it. If thy brother trespass against thee, rebuke him. And if he repent, forgive him. And if he trespass against thee seven times in a day, and seven times in a day turn again to thee, saying, I repent, thou shalt forgive him. Now, it's absolutely amazing what commentators do with this passage because these words, uh, parts of them, are repeated by the other uh, uh, Matthew and uh, Mark in different places in their passage. Uh, would, would it be impossible for Jesus to say the same thing more than once in different contexts? Would, would that astound anyone in here? I want you to know it does some of the commentators. They think Jesus could only say something once and it could only be recorded by once and and Luke had to have copied it from Mark and Matthew because certainly Jesus couldn't have said the same thing more than once. Who was Jesus dealing with? Uh, Disciples. Uh, How many of you need to hear things more than once to get it down straight? Would you please raise your hand so you don't tell a lie in church on Sunday morning? Amen. I mean, we all need to hear it more than once. Jesus said this over and over again to his disciples because the hallmark of true Christianity is forgiveness. You see, what other religion says that you need to forgive other people. Now, there's this fake, sloppy, ridiculous thing that they call Christianity out there. It says, well, you know, you offended me and you hurt me, but I'm going to be bigger than that. I'm going to forgive you. What a lie. Forgiveness based upon your goodness is an awful short subject indeed. Amen? I mean, what did we just get done? Jesus said offenses are going to come. That you're going to offend other people and other people are going to offend you. Forgiveness, true forgiveness is not based upon your goodness or your ability to put up with or endure affliction. True forgiveness is based upon the fact that Jesus Christ paid for every sin. You, as a forgiven soul, do not have the right to hold against another soul that which Jesus is willing to forgive them for. Did you get that? If Jesus paid for every sin and he forgave you your sin when you got saved, you don't have the right to hold anything against anyone whom Jesus is also willing to forgive them, which means everyone. Well, do I just let the whole world walk all over me? Well, what did that say? It said, if thy brother offend thee, what are you supposed to do? If thy brother trespass against thee, I'm sorry, what are you supposed to do? You're supposed to rebuke him. Hey, did you understand what you did? You know, I've had people come up and say, Pastor, do you you understand what you did? And I said, No. What what did I do? Well, I I thought you didn't want me coming to church anymore. Whoa, wait a minute. Uh, let's, 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 Let's rewind this thing. Where did you get that idea? Listen. 
The Bible says that we need to talk to one another about what goes on. And then we give it to Jesus Christ. Forgive him. We can't carry around the burden. Will you stop and remember what the burden of your sin was doing to you before you got saved? Hello? So why are you so willing to go pick up somebody else's sin and carry it too? It better go to the cross, amen? That's what this forgiveness thing is all about. It is letting Jesus take the burden. And by the way, if that person refuses Jesus' forgiveness, he'll take care of the retribution. And you know what? The only thing you'll be saying in your heart is, I wish they would have let Jesus take care of that for me. We don't want anyone to be judged by Jesus. Amen? So we come here, and Jesus says, listen, take heed to yourselves. You see, Jesus was telling the disciples, I do not want you to allow yourselves to join the ranks of the offended. Do you get that? He said offenses are going to come. But I don't want you allowing yourself to have someone do something against you to join the ranks of the offended, those who have allowed their faith to be moved by the actions of someone else those who have questioned their service for God or whether they're going to continue serving God, that is not for the Christian. There's an awful lot of people who call themselves Christians who are not. That's the vast majority of the offended, my friend. And you know what? Jesus doesn't want anyone to be offended. It's a very serious pronouncement. And you don't have to be around very long. You don't have to be witnessing very long. You don't have to be talking to other people. You're going to run into someone and said, yeah, I used to do that church thing, but fill in the blank. Somebody in the church was a hypocrite. The preacher was mean to me. The uh, the deacons yelled at me or or somebody yelled at my kids or... I mean, they got offended. And I'm never going to church again. I mean, how, how foolish is that? But it says it's going to happen. And Jesus said, listen, if your brother trespasses against you, hey, explain the problem, rebuke him. But forgive him. And if he turn again seven times in a day and say, I repent, thou shalt forgive him. What this is simply saying is, is there any limit on the amount of forgiveness that you ought to extend toward other human beings? No, there's not. Because there's no limit on the amount of forgiveness that Jesus extends to you. By the way, please don't raise your hands, but just think of this. How many of you have repented of more than seven sins in one day? I see some smiles on some faces and they're going, oh, well, yeah, I mean, there, there have been some days like that. Okay, well, then let's make allowance for other people to have some days like that as God has made for us. Amen? And the disciples quickly come to... To a point here, they realize that there is something that is going to be necessary to live these words. And let me tell you, one of the few times in scriptures they hit the nail on the head. They get it right the first time. They are right on course with what Jesus is trying to teach them. They say, Lord, increase our You know what? Faith is the answer. 
Is it not? You will face no problems in this life that faith will not answer. There will be nothing that you have to deal with that faith will not solve the issue. What is faith? Faith is simply believing God's word to the point of acting upon it or being obedient to it. Faith is living the words of God. Well, how can you live God's words if you don't know what they are? And that's where a lot of people's faith breaks down. It's right there. It's just so simple. They don't know what the Bible says. So how in the world can they act in faith? That's one of the reasons why we have the daily Bible reading schedules. Uh, By the way, I think we've given away all 300 we ordered for this year. Uh, We're going to be ordering new ones for next year, probably more, uh, so that we can give them away. Why do we want you to read the Bible? Faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. Why do we go through the Bible stories in Sunday school at 1030? Faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. Why do I pick passages like this one to address on Sunday morning? Because faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God and Sunday night and Thursday night. And by the way, if you say, Pastor, hey, we need to talk about a few things. I'd like some. uh, I'm going to get out the Bible when you come talk to me. You know why? Because faith is the answer. And if I were to ask you this morning, how many of you could use more faith? How many of you need more faith to live for God? Every hand of every safe person would go up. The disciples had it right. They said, Lord, increase our faith. I don't think they liked the Lord's answer. Let's look at it. And the Lord said, if he had faith as a grain of mustard seed... He might say unto this sycamine tree, Be thou plucked up by the root, and be thou planted in the sea, and it should obey you. Now, is Jesus wanting us to go around and have trees flying through the air and uh, being planted in the sea? Is, is that the point of this passage? Uh, no, it would be a foolish person indeed who would try to come up with that idea. What Jesus is saying is, the smallest amount of faith is sufficient to accomplish unbelievable things. You don't need a lot of faith. You need just a teeny, teeny little bit. Faith as a grain of mustard seed. How many of you have ever used that yellow mustard? I mean, I like the yellow stuff. I'm sorry. Uh, I enjoy the brown once in a while, but I I like the yellow. You know what yellow mustard seed is? I mean, yellow mustard is? It's the seed of mustard ground into a paste. It is so fine that you can't hardly even see the individual grains in it. He said, all you need is a grain of mustard seed. You just need a little teeniest bit. The problem is you don't have the teeniest little bit. You know, faith is a lot like humility. In fact, you can't have humility unless you have faith first, by the way. What happens with humility? Is you pray about it. You work on it. And one day you look and say, you know what, I think I got a little bit. And it all goes away. It just vaporizes. Because humility cannot abide in the presence of pride. Not not one little bit. It says, God giveth grace to the humble. 
You know, I met some preachers so humble they couldn't even pronounce the H. They just, God is, gives grace to the humble. You know, let, let me tell you something. God can spot fake humility in a second. You want grace? You need humility. You want humility? You got to have faith. You can't have, you can't have it. And here it goes, it says, all you need is the grain of a mustard seed, but you don't have that much faith. Because the moment you think you have faith, it disappears. Because you know what? Faith was not made for thinking about. In fact, God made faith of such a fashion that you cannot often, you cannot see it and recognize it in your own life. God made faith in such a way that it is recognized by others in your life. But if you stop and start thinking about how good and great your faith is, others can see that you have none immediately. This is what I mean. You've got to think about this this morning. We're, we're still in the introduction. We're, we're going to get to the sermon here in just a minute. But we've got to lay the foundation here. We, we, I want to explain this passage this morning. So here's how you get increased faith. Verse 7 through 10. But which of you having a servant plowing or feeding cattle, will say unto him by and by, that's immediately when he has come in from, when he has come from the field, go and sit down to meet. Okay, so let's get the picture. He's talking to the disciples. He said, which of you, now none of them had servants, but if you had a servant and he was plowing in the field and feeding the cattle, when he comes into the house after finishing his uh, duties in the field, would you say to him, sit down, relax, you've had a hard day's work, get something to eat? He says, no. You wouldn't say that at all because there was more work to do. Verse 8, and will not rather say unto him, make ready wherewith I may sup and gird thyself and serve me till I have eaten and drunken. That's past tense of drink, by the way has nothing to do with getting drunk. Uh, I've had people read, but the Bible talks about people getting drunk all over. No, it does not. Uh, that's just having drank something, it's called drunken, okay? You, you, you know, the people who are drunken have drank something, but uh, anyway, we'll keep moving on here, hopefully. And it says, and afterward, thou shalt eat and drink. Okay, so he says, he's worked in the field all day. He's labored from sun up till sundown. He comes into the house uh, because the sun is down. He can no longer work in the field. And he says, what are you going to say to him? Take a rest, relax. You've been working hard? No. You're going to say, hey, it's dinner time. Serve me. That's, that's what servants did. And after he served you, then you say, well, now you can take care of yourself. Uh, you've, you've done your duty. You've attended to me today. Now Jesus takes it a step further. Verse 9, doth he thank the servant because he did these things that were commanded him? Now, we live in an age that is absolutely ridiculous, do we not? I mean, you're, you're supposed to, I mean, we, we should be kind and gentle one toward another. There's no question about this. But why do we need to get awards for doing what we should have done in the first place? I'm sorry, maybe I'm going to offend people, and I hope I don't, but I'm a little frustrated when I go to the takeout Chinese restaurant and there's a tip jar on the counter. I mean, 
It used to be that you went in and you ordered your food and you got your food. I mean, that's what's supposed to happen. If they need more money, raise the prices. Why is it so quiet? Am I the only one that bothers? You're just afraid to say it. I can tell from a few Snickers. I've got a few there. Yes. Okay. But, and, and I understand there are certain jobs that tips are very important. When someone brings you your food, when someone carries your bags, I mean, I'm, I'm careful. I'm a good tipper when it comes to that. But if it, why, why do we think that we ought to give someone this great big award for learning their ABCs. Since when do you graduate from kindergarten, my friend? I mean, and then they graduate again. You know, sometimes I think the gift shops and the, and the card shops and the floor shops have figured all this thing out. Uh, they even have a grandparents' day now. And, and I'm sitting here, you know, Thank me for being a grandparent. I mean, uh, you got to have the kids first, you know. It just, we get so crazy here, and Jesus is dealing with this right here. Do you say thank you for the servant for doing what he was supposed to do? Now, Jesus' answer was incredibly sarcastic. He said, I trow not. You see, you've got to be crazy, man, to think that you would say thank you to your servant for doing what he ought to do. That's what the words say. So likewise ye. Now here's the application. So likewise ye, when ye have done all those things which are commanded you say... We are unprofitable servants. We have done that which was our duty to do. Now, I'll tell you something. That's an attitude that most of us do not want to have. But if you want increased faith, that is the attitude that you've got to have. You want to, you want to get out of the rank of the offended uh, offended. This will take you out of the rank of the offended. Because this will increase your faith. And see, your faith will be in Jesus and it won't matter what other people do to you because you're too concerned about serving the Lord Jesus to let someone else slow you down by their aberrant behavior. Did we get that? Let's go over it again. See some blank stares. Listen, if my understanding, how many of you, would there be one here in this auditorium who would stand up and say, I've done everything the Bible says a Christian ought to do and I do it every day. I challenge you, if one such person was here, you would be in more trouble than all the rest of us put together. Because we don't do everything that's commanded of us. We fail. We spend far too much time of our lives living in verses 1 and 2 than the rest of this passage, bringing the offenses. Jesus said they're going to come. But take heed to yourselves... You understand what forgiveness is. It's not based upon you. It's based upon me. And therefore, you forgive. But if you need increased faith, which you're going to have to have if you're going to forgive others, you're going to have to understand that no matter what you do, you have only reached the level of an unprofitable servant. You've just broken even. Maybe you'd like to look at it this way. If you took the sum total of every good thing that you've accomplished in your life, would it get you one drop of the blood of Jesus to take away your sins? No, it wouldn't. 
That's why we're unprofitable servants. Any good thing that really happens in your life happens. Why? Because the Holy Spirit has been active and he empowered you and he did it. Could we say amen to that? So it's not about me. It's about Jesus. And that attitude toward life will increase your faith. It'll give you enough faith. And it's a good thing that God isn't interested in trees sailing through the air. Because if he was, it would be happening all the time. What he's interested in is people living for him. And you know, that's something we struggle with every time we meet, is it not? That's something we work towards. That's something we strive for. Someone said, what's your church about? Our church is about helping people struggle together. Number one, to overcome themselves and get saved. Secondly, to overcome themselves and serve the Lord. Just be obedient to God's word. Now, I want us to take our Bibles and turn back to Genesis chapter 12. You see, the Bible is its own best commentary. And I believe if we'll take a little bit of time here and go through the life of Abraham, that we're going to see this very thing lived out in the life of Abraham. You mean Abraham committed offenses? Yeah, yes, he did. And we're going to look at some of those offenses that Abraham committed. And I believe that if there was any way that we could talk to Abraham and said, Abraham, if you had known the, the results of your behavior, the choices that you made, would you have rather had a millstone hanged about your neck and died before you made those choices? And I, I believe he'd say, yeah, I would, because they're very painful. You see, offenses are going to come, and they're terrible when they come. Here's his first offense in Genesis chapter 12. We'll start reading verse 10. And we're not going to get all the details of the stories. We'll let that for the Sunday school time. But uh, Genesis chapter 12, verse 10, it says, And there was a famine in the land, and Abram went down into Egypt to sojourn there, for the famine was grievous in the land. Now, let me just fill you in. God had called Abraham. Abram was his original name out of the Ur, the Chaldees, out of the modern-day Iraq near Babylon. And he traveled up what we call the Fertile Crescent in history, followed the Tigris and Euphrates rivers up into the land of Syria, and then came south down into the land of Canaan, the land of Palestine, the land that we would call the land of Israel today. And as Abraham is walking through this land, God has given him promises. God has told Abraham if you, that uh, if you believe me, I'll count it unto you for righteousness and made a covenant with Abraham, God, making a covenant with man. Then came a famine in the land. There was no food to eat. It said the famine was grievous. And so Abraham then journeys south to a place where the rain doesn't affect the crops. Land of Egypt. The crops were watered by the waters of the Nile River. They weren't dependent upon the rain like they were in the land of Canaan. If it didn't rain at the right time or rain too hard at the wrong time, you would get no harvest in the land of Canaan. Everything was dependent upon the rain. And so Abraham goes to Egypt. Now, how many of you remember what happened here? He says, Sarah, just a moment. Uh, we're going into Egypt. They don't fear God down there. And they're going to look at you and they're going to say, you're beautiful and they're going to kill me so they can take you away from me. So what you're going to do is you're going to just tell everybody you're my sister and we'll, we'll thwart the plans uh, of the world. Now this is a whole sermon in itself why Abram did these things. But... Let's just look at it honestly. Did Abraham's little quote-unquote white lie, did it destroy Abraham? No. 
In fact, he was enriched greatly. But let me tell you what the ramifications were of this. How many of you remember who was traveling with Abraham as he went into Egypt? There's a young fellow named Lot. And you know what? Lot got a lot in Egypt. In fact, Lot's possessions were so immense that by the time they left the land of Egypt, Abraham and Lot could not dwell in the same area because of the limited water and pasture resources. And by the way, that's not a, a, an unfertile territory there. It's not a limited place. I mean, you must have been talking thousands and thousands of animals that their servants were fighting with each other and Abraham had to come to him and say, Now Lot, you choose what direction you're going to go and I'm going to go the other direction. Lot said, Hey, I did pretty good in Egypt before. Let's try these populated areas. And what did the Bible say? He pitched his tent towards Sodom. You know what? Abraham survived his issue with the little white lie. Lot didn't. Lot lost everything. But where had he learned this from? Uncle Abraham. You see, that's an offense. It derailed Lot's faith. Now, I've still got good news. What does the Bible tell us in Second Peter? And delivered who? Just Lot. Now, only God could put that phrase, those two words together in a sentence and be believed by anyone. Because Lot's life was a mess. Now, let me ask you a question. If we could have gotten Abram aside and said, now listen, Abraham, here's what's going to happen. You're going to destroy Lot. He's going to pitch his tent. He's going to become towards Sodom. He's going to become the mayor of the wickedest town in the city in the history of mankind. And when God destroys that city because of his wrath, Lot is going to end up in the most degraded relationships mankind has ever known. So now we got two choices, Abraham. One is the millstone treatment, or let's go on. I think Abraham would say, let's get this millstone over because I don't want to destroy Lot. Hello? You see, offenses are going to come. By the way, where, where did Hagar come from? Sarah's personal servant, her favorite, the one that she had attending her personally, the one that she chose when she could not have children to step into her place and have a child by her own husband. I mean, stop and think about the thought process that goes on. She was Hagar the what? Egyptian. You know, this one choice had a lot of really bad ramifications. By the way, the descendants of Ishmael and the descendants of Abraham still fight with each other. 4,000 years later, Hey, Abraham, if you'd known this thing about Ishmael, we could choose the millstone treatment or Ishmael. Which would you rather have? Do you see the connection that is here? And Abraham actually pulled this little white lie thing again, even after God rebuked him for it with a man named Abimelech in Genesis chapter 20. Does anybody know the connection that Abimelech has with the history of Israel? How many of you have heard of the Philistines? How many battles were fought between Israel and the Philistines? Well, Abimelech was the leader of the people that became the Philistines. 
And Abraham lied to him. Let me tell you, Abraham offended some people. There were offenses that came. Now the Bible tells us in Luke chapter 17 that we're to take heed to ourselves. Now, let me tell you something. Abraham had obeyed God. He left Ur of the Chaldees. Abraham had sacrificed to God. He had believed God and it was counted unto him for righteousness. Abraham sacrificed to God. Abraham, when it came to the battle with the kings uh, of, uh, of Shinar, the land of Babylon, to rescue Lot and all of that, he said, I won't take anything from the king of Sodom. I mean, Abraham knew. God, in fact, in Genesis chapter 18, let's just take a look at these two verses here. Actually, let's get verse uh, 17 in here. And the Lord said, Shall I hide from Abraham that thing which I do, seeing that Abraham shall surely become a great and mighty nation, and that all the nations of the earth shall be blessed in him? For I know him that he will command his children and his household after him, and they shall keep the way of the Lord to do justice and judgment, that the Lord may bring upon Abraham that which he has spoken of him. Now that's pretty high praise for a man who had committed such grievous offense, is it not? You see... God still loved Abraham in in spite of the fact that he had committed offense. Now let's go to Genesis chapter 22. You see, I think Abraham, more than any person in Scripture, exuded this attitude, when we have done all that we're commanded to do, we're unprofitable servants. Because God came to Abraham with the most unusual request. Uh, uh, Not unusual in the fact that it... But uh, God had come to Abraham in chapter 22 and said, I want a human sacrifice. I want your son Isaac. Now, other places he would tell the children of Israel, when they actually did this barbarity of human sacrifice, he says, it never, never came into my mind. I never wanted it. Uh, you, you blaspheme my holiness. I mean, human sacrifice has always been a sign of devil worship, has it not? And yet here he comes. God comes to Abraham, says, I want you to look at verse 1 here. And it came to pass after these things that God did tempt Abraham and said unto him, Abraham, and he said, Behold, here I am. And he said, Take now thy son, thine only son Isaac, whom thou lovest, and get thee into the land of Moriah, and offer him there for a burnt offering upon one of the mountains, which I will tell thee of. Uh, You can't worm out of this one. I don't care how good an original language exegesis, an original language exegesis you are, you cannot change the sense and the meaning of the words. Abraham put himself fully at the disposal of God, even though he had no understanding why God would ask this thing. And in fact, it seemed totally contradictory, did it not? He had already told Abraham in Isaac, shall thy seed be called. The resolution is a very simple one. We might even say childish uh, in its thought process. If we go to the book of Hebrews, it says that he believed he would receive his son back from the dead. God said, in Isaac shall thy seed be called. He said to sacrifice Isaac. Therefore, Isaac's going to die. But if Isaac is going to be where my seed is called, if he's going to produce an offspring, a history, a progeny through him, he's going to have to bring Isaac back from the dead. Now that's as simple as one plus one equals two, is it not? Now we have the Bible. We know what God did, do we not? 
as he was prepared to take his son's life, the knife was raised in his hand. God called out to heaven and said, Stop. Now we look at this thing and we say, Why did God do that? Well, you know, God is under no obligation to answer your wise. Abraham never asked him. I will tell you this. I'll bet he was going. How many of you think he was doing that? Fell on his face and probably just wept before God. We can look back and we can see that God was doing a couple of things. One, he told Abraham, now I know that I'm first in your life. You know, sometimes God's got to put us through some pretty deep waters. Not for him to understand where we are, but for us to understand where we are. It's hard to look in the mirror and say, I go to church every Sunday and I do the things that God wants me to do and I'm an unprofitable servant. I mean, I've done some good. I'm reading my Bible and I'm tithing. I'm an unprofitable servant. You know, those two things just don't go together. I mean, I am producing a profit for the Lord. Wrong. The only profit that can be produced for the Lord is that which the Holy Spirit produces through you. You're not doing it. He is. The answer for every issue in your life is faith. But when life gets impossible, we don't go, okay, God, here's another wonderful opportunity to faith to manifest itself in my life. No, what do we do? Dear God, why are you doing this to me? That's what we do. That's not faith. That's faithlessness, is it not? Never once did Abraham question God in this entire passage of Genesis 22. Never once. Doesn't that qualify for faith? Abraham never thought one moment, never brought up to God one time the discomfort and the pain and the suffering that he would have to go through to be obedient to God. You know why? Because when you're an unprofitable servant, that's not part of the equation. Amen? Can we say amen to that? I mean, I'm not saying that it's pleasant. I'm not saying that it's something that we should actually desire. In fact, if that's something you did desire and something you strove for, you'd miss it a lot farther than you would otherwise. You see, this thing called faith is not something you can manufacture. It's not something you can say, I want to be a person of great faith. And uh, even to this day, I'll have preachers, well, uh, Brother Montoro, man, he's got great faith when they bought that building. Uh, I was there. Uh, I think I could explain to you that there was no great faith when, when this building was bought. God did some miracles. But you know what I found out? I found out that the office door, the lock on the door works both ways. You can actually lock yourself in to keep yourself from doing something stupid until God does what only he could do. You see, that's an unprofitable servant. That's what we are. Because it's not about us. It's about him. It's not about you and I doing great things for God because that is not possible. It's about God doing great things and giving us credit for it. And if we'll let him do that, what are we going to say when we look in the mirror night? 
I'm an unprofitable servant. I just did what I was commanded to do. You know, when this whole thing was over, Abram's, Abraham said, I, I just did what the Lord said. But in the mount of the Lord, it's going to be seen. You know where Abraham was when he fulfilled these words with Isaac and, and lived this, this torturous three days according to the word of God? We don't know the exact spot, but he was on the mountain that Jesus would be crucified on. Maybe he was on Golgotha's hill. We don't know. Uh, tradition tells us that he was in a place called that is now called the Temple Mount, where Solomon had built the temple. Nobody can be very certain about all of those things except... The temple was built on the same mountain Jesus was crucified on, and on that same mountain, Isaac was laid on the altar, and a ram was offered in his place. But when God's son would be offered on the altar, there would be no sacrifice, no substitute for him. He is the sacrifice for sin. You see... Did offenses come by the life of Abraham? Yeah. Did Abraham take heed to himself? Yeah, he didn't get bitter at Lot when Lot chose the better of the properties. He didn't do a lot of things that he could have done. Abraham took heed to himself and to God. And when God called upon Abraham to be obedient in this extraordinary way in Genesis chapter 22, Abraham just did what God said to do. And he let God take care of all of the difficulties in understanding it and explaining it. He just did what he was commanded to do. And when it was all over, Abraham didn't take credit for it and said, oh, listen, what God did for me to show me, and I want you to turn to Galatians chapter 3, and we'll be finished this morning. I just want to challenge us today from this passage. Look at me in Galatians chapter, look with me, Galatians chapter 3, verse 7. Know ye therefore that they which are of faith, the same are the children of Abraham. And the scripture foreseeing that God would justify the heathen through faith, preached before the gospel under Abraham, saying, In thee shall all nations be blessed. So then they which be of faith are blessed with faithful Abraham. Did offenses come? Yes, they did. Did Abraham exude that attitude? We are unprofitable servants, for we have done that which was commanded. I believe that he did as much or more than any man that ever lived. Can we be included in that faith? By imitating Abraham's behavior? Yeah. You see, offenses are going to come. And I praise the Lord as I preach this sermon. I don't know. Uh, maybe I'm blind, but I don't know of any offense in our church at this point. And I'm glad. I mean, there's been other times when we've had offended people and offended things going on. And if you sit here and say, well, I know something will come and tell me after the service. I don't know about it today. But I want you to understand something. They're going to be there. But you as a believer have a responsibility to get out of the ranks of the offended. That happens through forgiveness. 
Amen? How are you going to get forgiveness? Uh, You're going to have to have increased faith. How are you going to do that? We are unprofitable servants. We've only done that which we were commanded to do. And I didn't quote it perfectly, but that's the attitude. That's what's got to happen in our hearts. Then we get increased faith. Then who gets the glory? God does. In spite of the fact that we're sinful human beings. And all God's people said,